Well, let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a speaking God, that you spoke the world into being, that you speak through your creation, that you speak through your prophets, you speak through your word, you speak to our conscience, you speak preeminently through your Son, and that by your Spirit you speak through your people. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. And we pray now, Lord, that through my words, from your word, you would speak to us. Amen. Well, I'm delighted to join you online for this conference today. And I want to thank Jitesh for uh, having the vision for this and then the industry and uh, effort in organizing this and adapting. Now we're going into COVID lockdown. And thank you to Stephen and the tech team who have kept the show on the road. Preaching at a conference for preachers on the theme of preaching is a pretty tough task. And it's rather tempting, and indeed I've been rather tempted, to preach one of my favorite sermons, one of the ones that I've journeyed with for several decades that I've honed and polished and crafted and that I know all the timings. I don't need my notes. I know the funny moments. I know the pauses. I know the parts that are full of pathos and uh, dripping with homiletical tricks and rhetoric and showing off my erudition and education and so on. And then you would all say, wow. But if I were to do that, you probably wouldn't say, wow, and the Lord is more likely to say, whoa. I think it would insult the theme that I have been set today. Jitesh has asked me to preach on the theme of preaching in the power of the Spirit. And right off the bat, I want to say this, that you cannot preach in the power of the Spirit if you're preaching from yourself and making much of yourself. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to have a few more verses that we'll look at from 2 Corinthians uh, a little way through. But let's just begin here. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. It's a church in trouble. It's a church that has started well, but has moved away. It's graduated from the gospel, and they found themselves in all sorts of difficulties. And Paul is writing to challenge them, to correct them, and to bring them back to basics. It was Karl Barth who said, you've got to begin again at the beginning. And St. Paul is realigning them, reminding them that when he came, and when he first ministered amongst them, it was Christ and him crucified. That was the all-important thing. Verse 1, chapter 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear 
and with much trembling. Got to underline that. Weakness, fear, much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. They weren't with wise and eloquent words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. The messenger here, Paul, was simple and unsophisticated and weak and afraid and trembling. That's how Paul was. That's how Paul came. That's how Paul conveyed himself. That was the mark of the man when he ministered the gospel amongst them. Weak and afraid and trembling and unsophisticated and inarticulate. The message was Christ and him crucified. It was the gospel. Jesus, our Lord, the loveliest life the world has ever known, crushed against a tree, there taking the sins of the world for us, turning aside the wrath of God from us, bearing in his body our sins and the punishment that God as just judge must pour out against our sins. Jesus took it all and died in our place, in our stead, as a substitute, as a sacrifice for us. And then three days later, glorious and victorious, he rose again. God says yes to his death for us. And we who look to him and trust in him and hold on to him receive the benefits of his death for us and rise with him and will ascend with him to glory. That is the amazing story. It's as simple as that. And that's what Paul preached to the Corinthians. And what was the effect of it? Well, Paul says it was dynamic and it was effective. He speaks about a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now, we don't know what that demonstration was. I think on the one hand, it will have been people convicted and people converted. On the other, I think that there may well have been signs and wonders that accompanied the preaching of that word. But the word was effective. The word came in power. The word did its work. And lives were changed. And people put their faith in God, who is powerful. Now, I've been asked to speak on this theme of preaching in the power of the Spirit. And I wish I knew more about it. And I wish I had experienced. And I wish that I could evidence more of this Spirit. The fact is that over 30 odd years as a preacher, I've invested so much time and energy and indeed money in thousands of books, just investing in words and trying to be more wise and trying to be more persuasive. But I wish, looking back, I'd invested more time in seeking God for more of his power rather than more learning and more polish. So I make no pretense today at being the model for what I'm preaching. Don't learn from me what I say 
not how I say it. Someone once wrote an article about me in a magazine, about my preaching, and the title of it was God's Funny Man. God's Funny Man. And they basically said uh, that just, you know, what a funny guy I was and how I amused people and in my preaching and I kept them awake and it wasn't boring and so on. And in a sense, I, you know, part of me is, was and, and, and still is pleased by that because I think it's almost blasphemy to be boring when you preach. I mean, we're talking about the most exciting and exhilarating thing in the world, the most remarkable, mind-blowing person of the universe. And if we convey that in a boring, dull, doer way, it's almost blasphemy. But preaching is not entertainment. And that's what we must be wary of. And I would that people could say of me that he was a God-empowered preacher rather than summing me up as God's funny man. I'm not going to be funny this afternoon. The power of Paul's preaching was predicated on the content of Paul's preaching. It was about what he said, not how he said it. It was about the content. It was about Christ and him crucified. That is, that was where the power resides. Our message intensifies or inhabits the Holy Spirit's presence and power to the extent that our message and our delivery is associated with the Spirit. Is our preaching what the Spirit is preaching? Are we saying what the Spirit is saying? Because if we do, if we are, there is power. And are we seeking to say it in our ability, with our gifting, with our eloquence, or dependent on him, looking to him to speak through us. So the first thing I want to say, that's all by way of introduction and warm-up, the first thing is this, that the key to the Spirit's power in preaching is preaching what the Spirit empowers. The key to the Spirit's power in preaching is preaching what the Spirit empowers. We've got to know what he empowers if we're to be empowered when we say it. And there is power when we speak what the Spirit speaks. The Spirit, his power rests on preaching of and from the Bible. Why? Because the Spirit is the author of the Bible. He inspired, he inscribed every single word in the original manuscripts. The Bible is the Spirit preaching. So if we want to know the power of the Spirit in our preaching, we've got to be say, saying what he says. We've got to be people of the book. I want to say this, if you're not going to open the book, don't open your mouth. If you're not going to preach what the Spirit's preaching, I don't want to hear what you've got to say. The Spirit's power rests on the preaching of the Father. Why? Because that's who God is in eternity. The eternal Father of the Son. 
And it's by the Spirit that we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit reveals the Father to us and draws us into the bosom of the Father. There is power when we preach about who God is and how God is towards us. The the Spirit's power rests on preaching of sound doctrine because He is the Spirit of truth who leads us into all truth. And again, we're back to the book. We're back to the Bible because that's where the Spirit speaks and lays out sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is a bit of a religious term, but it literally means what God has to say on something. The Spirit's power rests on the preaching of holiness. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is a holy spirit. And these are themes that are near and dear to his heart, and he's the one who makes us holy. So when we teach on these things, we're aligning ourselves with the Spirit. You want power in your preaching? Preach on holiness. And when was the last time you heard a sermon on holiness? The Spirit's power rests on preaching sin and righteousness and judgment. Why? Because Jesus said the Spirit will convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. There is power of the Spirit when we align with what the Spirit says. And of course, the Spirit's power rests on preaching of love. Why? Because He is the Spirit of love. So Augustine said, the love between the Father and the Son wherewith he loves on the world and the world is enabled through Christ to love God back. He's the spirit of love. He sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. So when we preach about love, we're preaching about things that are near and dear to him. He is the spirit of love. The spirit's power rests on a preacher who prays. Why? Because prayer recognizes our dependency upon God. Prayer recognizes that without God showing up, without God speaking up, without him anointing, equipping, releasing, speaking through me, all you've got is me. So I need to pray or else all you've got is what I've got to say. And it's prayer that actually turns my preparation into power. Prayer is dependency on God. It is seeking the Spirit. I love, uh, was it John Stott, who whenever he would mount the pulpit to go and preach, would recite from the creed, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's power rests on the preacher who knows their need of power and who seeks the Spirit for it. But the Spirit's power does not anoint the preacher who's preening themselves. The Spirit is repulsed by a preacher who's wanting to just preen themselves. The Spirit of God created real peacocks, but he doesn't want a peacock in a pulpit. He doesn't want the preacher just up there showing off, enjoying, enjoying people looking and listening and having a sense of influence. He's not interested in that because it's not about the preacher. The preacher is simply a conduit. They're a mouthpiece. You know, musical instruments are beautiful, but if they're just sat there looking beautiful, they're they're not doing what they're made for. Their beauty actually comes not just through their intrinsic craft, but through what comes out of them. The music. And that's how it should be with us who are preachers. Not about us. John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. And all too many people want to be preachers because they want to increase, not decrease. 
The Spirit's power doesn't anoint the person who wants to preach law. Why? Because he's, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Spirit's power does not anoint preaching of schism. Why? Because he's the Spirit of unity. The Spirit's power doesn't anoint confidence in our flesh and our own ability. You're not that interested, really, in our rhetorical ability and our eloquence or our insightful exegesis or clever illusions or our gift of the gab, our education, qualifications, connections. Is that alliteration or assonance? I don't know, those three. They were nice. Dramatic inflection, erudition, pedigree, degrees, our finger on the cultural pulse, making, you know, a a hermeneutic connection between the text, ourselves, and the sitter. Listen, we can learn all of that stuff, but in many ways, that's just tricks. It's just tricks. Anyone can learn that. Anyone. What we need is God in our preaching. We need more God in the church. We need more God speaking from the pulpit. And I worry sometimes we've invested so much time in all that stuff, in our training, that we've missed the main thing. No point building a bonfire if there is no fire. And all of our preparation is to build a bonfire. But in the end, like Elijah, we need to say, Lord, send the fire. If as a preacher you begin to think, I've really got this, then the Spirit is likely to say, well, over to you then. We preachers, when we stand up and speak, need to be speaking from God, inspired by Him, anointed by Him. Now, of course, a decent talk has several main components, the beginning of which it presupposes it's from the Bible, and then it's all about Jesus, whatever our theme, Jesus is about Jesus, for, of, to, for, by, with, from, him, and so on. But it needs these, how about this? It needs logos, a good argument from the word. It needs pathos, a good connection. It needs ethos, a sense of moral or spiritual integrity. But most of all, you can do without all of those if you've got this one thing. It needs kratos, divine power. That's what we need. That's what our preachers need. It's what our congregations need. It's what our churches need. It's what our society needs. Preachers who come in the power of the Spirit. Why? Because if they don't, all you've got is them. When Paul came, he didn't preach himself. He didn't make much of himself. He was pretty weedy, to be honest. Not with wise and persuasive words, in fear and trembling, but... He had power. And the power was effective. It brought change. There was demonstration. There were conversions. There were miracles. I'm not saying we don't need to do our best. I've spent years doing it. I'm not throwing it all out by any means. Let's hone our craft. You know, I, I want to encourage you to uh, go online to, to join in, to sign up for the new ministry that we've just heard about from Laura called Prisca. And uh, this is going to be a wonderful resource um, for the church.
for people to come and to join hubs, to receive teaching and training and equipping to be more effective as preachers. It's going to be absolutely brilliant. We're going to teach exegesis, how to get out of the Bible, exposition, how to convey it, and all sorts of um, uh, tools for us to be better preachers. And we can all be better preachers, okay? We can. I'm not negating that at all. But the theme that Jitesh, Jitesh set me was how to preach in the power of the Spirit. So that's what I'm going after this afternoon. You know, we're to be like jewelers. Who, and, and the most important thing about a jeweler is not the jeweler, it's the jewel. And the jeweler, let's imagine that they, they've been given a diamond and they set it in a beautiful platinum setting and they put that in a beautiful 18-carat white gold ring the most important thing is not the jeweler, and it's not the ring, and it's not the setting, it's the diamond. And the diamond, of course, is Christ. It's the gospel. And our job, we're the jewelers, and the sermon is the ring and the setting. But the thing, the thing is Christ. That's where the power is. That's where the point is. No point wearing a ring if there ain't a diamond in it and it's just a setting. So the Lord blesses our best. He blesses our prep. Uh, and, uh, but in the end, it's all about Him. And if we think it's about us and what we do and how we do it, the problem is we either become insecure or proud. But either way, we're robbing the Holy Spirit and we're failing in our task. So that's the first thing. I've come at it from various different ways, but I hope I've made the point because it's the main thing I wanted to say. The key to the Spirit's power is preaching what the Spirit empowers. And then secondly, the key to Paul's powerful preaching is Paul's weakness. It's the lack of Paul's own power. This was what I actually sensed the Lord say that I should be speaking today. And uh, two weeks ago in church on a Sunday, uh, in the worship, I was praying, and this was, this was the theme that I felt the Lord lay on my heart, that we should be understanding more of weakness if we're to understand preaching in the power of the Spirit. And so often in our culture, we shy away from it, or if we are weak, we try and cover it up. But actually, it's our very weakness that is a platform for his powerfulness. The weakness of the preacher opens the door for the greatness of the Spirit. God's power is found in God. And God's power rests on us when we're weak enough. Because if we're not weak, then... We'll do it in our own strength and not his power. And it's when we have a sense of our own lack of power that we lean on his power. And this theme of weakness is one that continues with Paul. It's here in 1 Corinthians. He says he was like it when he started, when he came to them, weakness, fear, and trembling. And then in his later letters in 2 Corinthians, he returns to this theme over and over again. Weakness and God, our weakness, God's power go hand in hand. If you've got a Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. 
2 Corinthians 12, 7. I haven't got the, my decent glasses on, so I can't even read what the Bible's saying. But fortunately, I've written it down here. Always be prepared. Paul says this, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. He's a speaking spirit. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. I put the word you're in there, but that's the, it's, it's implied. My power, says God, is made perfect in your weakness. You want to know my power? Your weakness. Those two correlate. They go hand in hand. They walk together. His power, your weakness. We don't like it. Our flesh recoils against it, but it's his power, your weakness. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Not cover them up, not hide embarrassed, not be ashamed, but almost display them. Why? Because the more weak I am, the more powerful I am in him. He says, so that Christ's power may rest on me. You see that? I'll boast in my weakness so that his power rests on me. Now, I know you may, may not want to hear this stuff and you might have preferred uh, you know, half a dozen decent points on how to preach a good sermon and move people. No, you don't want that. Listen, if you want the power of the Spirit, you've got to be weak. If you want more, you've got to go weaker. This is the economy of God. In 2 Corinthians 11, you might like to flip back to that, verse 23 to 30, we have a staggering litany of suffering that Paul endured. And this suffering left him really weak, physically, emotionally. I think he was burnt out. And then he can say this, if I must boast, then I will boast of the things that show my weakness. One of my favorite toys when I was a child growing up in the early 70s was Action Man. Some of you have never seen one, but hopefully some of you are old enough to remember. And I love my, I actually had two. I love my action men. They were absolutely brilliant. And I spent, you know, several years um, playing with these things, creating backdrops and scenery and making accessories for them and imagining scenarios in which they were fighting these soldiers and imagining that myself, positing myself on them and all the sort of things that kids do and uh, performing, you know, imagining I was performing all these daring do's and what have you. But one of the things I liked most about my action men, apart from that they had grippy hands, I don't know if you remember that, remember the grippy hands? was that they had a great big scar down one cheek. Scar that ran all the way down here. And even when I was just a, 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 a little boy, somehow I was impressed by this because it kind of conveyed, I, I'm not sure I could have articulated it, I couldn't then, that this was a real soldier who'd fought in real battles and come through it, scarred but survived. It kind of made it real. 
The demise of the action man actually came with the rise of Star Wars in the early 80s. And kids no longer wanted a kind of naturalistic soldiers, but they wanted sci-fi Star Wars. No more war scars, just Star Wars instead. The Corinthian church were into Star Wars. They wanted their stars. They were, they, they were infiltrated, if you like, by superstar apostles who were impressive in, and imposing in their manner and their communication. They were eloquent, powerful, alpha males, really, you know, made their mark. They walked into a room and everyone noticed. Paul just had his war scars. And they thought, he's not for us. You know, repeatedly, over 30 times in Paul's two letters to the Corinthians, he uses the word boasting. This was a church that had inculcated its culture. It was all about boasting, showing off, being impressed. And these super apostles, the Star Wars ones, were just, you know, with their kind of lightsaber Christianity. They were awesome. But Paul, what did he have? He was poor. He was pathetic. He looked like the runt of the pack. He had his scars. That wasn't what they wanted. But the difference between the two, night and day, yeah, impressive, not very impressive, Paul. But where was the power? Who had the power? Trained in rhetoric? Not. Who had the power? Paul probably was, but he didn't rely on it. Paul's got the power. Paul had the influence. They prey on what he built. They build on what he founded in the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. It seems that these Corinthians had accommodated to what C.S. Lewis calls anesthetic fog, that we just take on the culture around us. We're just in the, in the mist. And Paul responds. How does he respond? Does he play the game? Does he try and be impressive? Does he, does he say, oh, well, I can do, I can match you. I can do top trumps. I can go for rhetoric and impressive manner and fluency and sophistication and culture and show off all my learning and all of that stuff. It's not worth a hill of beans to Paul. What does Paul do? He talks about his weakness. Paul makes no attempt at self-justification or self-promotion. He doesn't point to his miracles. He doesn't point to the churches that he's planted all through Asia Minor. What he does is this. He lifts up his shirt and he shows them his scars. He lifts up his shirt and he shows them his scars. In the movie First Blood, I think it came out in 1981. I remember when it first came out. It was 81 or 82, but I remember watching it for the first time. It was the best of the the four of them, but Sylvester Stallone plays this ex-Green Beret from Vietnam, a soldier called Rambo, and all his friends are dead, and he's become a bit of a drifter, and he's passing through this small town in uh, North America, and a police officer comes by and arrests him without cause, takes him back to the police station, they take him downstairs to the cells, they try and get his fingerprints. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's being picked on. And uh, they push him around. They're bullying him. 
And then they say he needs a shower and they lift up his shirt and all over his body are scars, deep scars, wounds from warfare. Rambo says nothing. He says nothing. The police say, what have we got into here? But he lifts, up his, he lifts up his shirt and he shows his scars and he silences them. Well, what happens in this passage here in 2 Corinthians is that Paul, 2 Corinthians 11 particularly, Paul lifts up his shirt. You know, there are actually four lists in 2 Corinthians where Paul lifts up his shirt and shows us his scars to prove that he is an apostle. Weakness. There's no shortcut to the Spirit's power. It doesn't come from one prayer meeting or one person laying hands on you or one act of consecration, but it's a kind of ever-increasing, deepening dependence on the Spirit. Yeah, and I, I, I'm not at all negating it. We need to learn all that we can so we can be the best that we can in communicating. But all the while, twin track, I need the power of God and and that's just that comes from yes after yes to God even when our flesh says no it comes through accumulation of power uh, of prayer seeking him for more it comes through yeah a faithfulness to him and a carrying of our cross as well as a communicating of the cross look at verse 23 of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians Paul talks about greater la- far greater labors than these others, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, faced death many times. Five times, he says, I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. He was beaten nearly to death. Three times I was beaten with rods, the Roman magistrate punishment. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day adrift at sea. He talks about frequent journeys uh, in danger from robbers and danger from his own people and danger from Gentiles and danger in the city and danger in the wilderness and danger at sea and danger from false brothers. Look at that chapter. Danger, 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 danger. Comfort? No. Danger. You want power? It's not going to be easy. Power doesn't come when you're comfortable. The comforter comes when you're in danger. In toil, in hardship, many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, without food, in cold and nakedness. Apart from these other things, he says, there's daily pressure on me. I'm anxious about all the churches. He says, who's not weak and I'm not weak? Who doesn't burn with temptation and I don't? Who is not weak and I'm not weak? That's what Paul brings to the table. That he's the weakest bloke in the room. And this is the kingdom economy. This is the irony. The weakest bloke in the room is the most powerful. Physically, emotionally, mentally, he is beaten down. And there the power of God rests. I hope that this encourages some of you. I know some of you might be listening thinking, what on earth is going on here? I didn't sign up for this. But some of you are going through it and you're saying, what on earth is all? Why am I suffering? Why do I feel so weak? Well, maybe God's answering your prayer for more of his power. We live in a risk-averse 
risk assessment culture. My wife Tiffany teaches little five-year-olds, and a while ago she had to, she's doing risk assessments all day long. A while ago she had to do a risk assessment for children playing in the play, playground because they had a three-inch deep large puddle. And she had to write out a full risk assessment. I mean, the world is the world's gone bonkers. Risk assessment. Paul put himself in harm's way. He put himself in harm's way. Why? For the gospel. How did he keep going? Well, I think the love of Christ compelled him. He carried the cross because he saw the cross and he knew it was only the cross that could save him. So here's a man covered in scars. Here's a man who's marked by weakness. Here's a man who has power. There's no shortcut to it. It comes not through seminars or not through one prayer session, not through one time someone laying hands on you and praying. It comes through a sustained, faithful walking with the Lord, carrying his cross, abiding in him, saturated in the word, faithfully ministering him and being willing to incur all manner of trouble for it. I need to conclude. The Corinthians embraced these superstar apostles. But those superstar apostles were peacocks. They weren't preachers. They were peacocks. Christless messages, bloodless message, crossless message, powerless gospel. The Spirit of God didn't rest upon them and they were ministering in their own power. There's a lot of that around. But Paul models authentic apostolic ministry centered on the cross of Christ, carrying the cross of Christ, presenting the cross of Christ, and bearing in his own body the marks of the cross of Christ. Many years ago now, well, probably 40 years ago, I was, a, I was about 16, I was 15, 16, and I was, a teen, I was uh, not a Christian. And... Uh, but I somehow came across a book. And, uh, well, I know how I came across it, but it was, I would never read a Christian book. It was a Christian book by Richard Vermbrand called Tortured for Christ. And he was an Albanian pastor uh, in the time of the uh, Soviet Union. And he was tortured for a total of 15 years in jail for preaching Christ. And uh, this book made a huge impact upon me. I wasn't even a Christian, but I even went and spoke to someone and asked them to pray for me after reading this book because his life had impacted me. I'd been brought up going to church and I didn't want anything to do with it. But this man had integrity. He had anointing. It had power. I read it. I actually remember shaking as I read it, just in awe. Not that long ago, a colleague of mine called Will Donaldson told me that when he was, and he was at King's Canterbury School, he was with the, a group of inquisitive other teenagers, and they went along to a meeting that uh, Richard Vermbrand was speaking at. And afterwards, Will and his mates went up to Richard Vermbrand and said, We've heard about your torture. Can we see the scars? And Richard Vermbrand undid his shirt, lifted it up, 
and just showed all the places on his body where he'd been repeatedly scarred and marred for following Christ. There were the wounds. I bet those boys never forgot it. The scar on the action man was actually a registered trademark. And I think that it's a kind of registered apostolic trademark for those who are called to preach the gospel. We're not called to be comfortable. We're called to carry the cross if we're to preach the cross. So, dear New Wine listeners, thanks for listening to me. Preaching with power. Preaching in the power of the Spirit. That's the theme. Where does it come from? Weakness and wounds, and yet faithfulness and dependency on Jesus. When we're weak, then we're strong, holding out the gospel in weakness and fear and trembling. Never be afraid to be weak. Never be afraid to be weak. So, Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you've called us, Lord, to be your ministers and to preach your word. Lord, this may be an uncomfortable message this afternoon, but we pray that you would make us weaker if it will make us more powerful and through that your gospel more effective in connecting and demonstrating your power and bringing people to you. Amen.